Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. John, great to be uh, with you today. Thanks so much. And, and joining us, uh, everybody, of course, uh, is John Zechner, uh, a very well-respected money manager here in Canada. Uh, many, many years of experience, which I think is so key and critical these days, John, isn't it? Yeah, it really, sometimes you hearken back to like, you know, days long ago, it's almost with this oil thing and all of that. I was reminded back of 1990, you know, the Operation Desert Storm and what happened with oil prices back then. So yeah, I mean, having a long history sometimes helps in this uh, market environment, that's for sure. <laughs> It, it does. And, you know, okay, so everybody knows, I think, by now that this is the top five at five, so your top five stock ideas. But, John, I do think, and I am going to ask you to kind of give us your macro overview, because I actually saw your, it was a tweet that you put out in terms of um, the price of oil and likening it back to Desert Storm. And um, I, I think you thought that the price of oil is going to go down today, which it has been doing. But, but I wasn't, when I read your note, I wasn't sure that I, I fully agreed, quite frankly. No, Catherine, you know what? That's one of those things of being uh, right for the wrong reasons. And I mean, it, it wasn't a daily call or anything like that. All My only point was, is you have to watch it. Once, as you know, in the market, once an event gets well anticipated, when the event actually occurs, markets go in the opposite direction. And, and that was my point that back in, in, in 1990, uh, you know, there was a whole occupation, obviously, of Kuwait. And then when Operation Desert Shield actually launched in August of that year, that was an oil pre, uh, prices peaked around $40. They headed south from there and uh, never saw the light of day till 2005 when they crossed that level again. So it's just when you get caught up in the in the moment like that, it's like a Fed meeting or anything else. Like As you know, the market tends to do the you know, buy on rumor, sell on news. So that that's the only my only point I was making about that. I think we constantly have to be aware of this in particularly in a volatile environment like this. So let's extrapolate then a little bit further before we get into the stocks. When, when you talk about and, and your ability to reference the past, what are you most focused on right now? Is it the Fed, I would think, or is it geopolitical issues, as we were just kind of mentioning? Yeah, geopolitical, I think, always goes further down the list to me, Catherine. I, I think in the end, Two, there's two drivers of markets. I mean, two things really matter. And it's, it's really monetary policy, the level of interest rates, because that you know tells you what the, the P is going to be in your price earnings ratio and earnings, you know, and that's obviously, you know, driven economically and all of that. In the end, I think that's really all that's going to drive stocks up and down. The rest is, is sort of to some degree noise. And uh, the, the, the issues I have a little bit in the short term is, is, to some degree, those things are starting to work against you. Like certainly the idea of the, uh, on the price earnings ratio, it has been so driven by this, you know, 12 year downturn in interest rates to zero. And to the degree we're turning that up, you're taking that, you know, you're taking that tailwind away. And, and, and clearly you've seen that in the past year and, 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 and particularly in the past couple of months, as we've seen these growth stocks or higher valuation stocks start to roll over in that type of environment. But the other you know, warning flag is the other side of the equation is the E, the earnings. And there, I, I'm, you know, 
earnings have been sort of the, the mother's milk of, of this, this rally, really, and, and they've been fantastic. What is it, 25% plus gain last year and some double digit expected this year. But I tell you, Catherine, I mean, the conference calls I've been on recently, it's, you know, as you know, with the supply chain issues, higher labor costs, higher input costs in general, and some, you know, worries a little bit about the demand side overall, you know, margins are at all time highs. And so earnings growth is getting squeezed a little bit. So, you know, from the point of view of what do you worry about? Well, the two most important things that drive markets could, you know, maybe be turning into headwinds instead of tailwinds. And, and that worries me, especially when valuations are at all time highs. So, yeah. and, and sentiment is pretty bullish too. So yeah, you can't run for the exit. You, you still have to be in the game to some degree, but how, you know, how do you play it without getting your head handed back to you? Yeah, which we'll get to in just one second. But, um, um, you know, today's market move, you know, right out of the gate, we saw some strong market movements higher than Aztec up over 1%. Uh, and yet the U.S. 10-year yield up over 2% and holding. I don't know where it is right now at 308. But, but nonetheless, it was a slightly perplexing to me. But you explain it as how. Well, you take the two sides of that. I mean, the market balances is the idea that if nothing's happened in the Ukraine, you know, we, we have to do throw some geopolitical that has been short-term overhang on the market to the degree that the news is more and ameliorates that or sort of lessens that worry in the short term. Of course, you're going to get a bounce in stocks that have sold off pretty dramatically on that news alone. And on the other side of that equation, yeah, that, 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 uh, may have slowed down some of the, the more hawkish views on interest rates that sort of creeped into the market late last week, certainly on Friday when the, you know, the, you know, the 10 years slipped back under 2% again. So now it's sort of back to, okay, yeah, the Fed is going to tighten. They're behind the curve. Inflation is high. And let's, you know, let's start pushing these yields higher. So I, I think they're both logical moves. Uh, and, you know, you always got to pay to me more attention, Catherine, to the last hour than the first hour. The first hour can be anything positioning from overnight. You know, it's the last hour. That's when sort of the money sort of rides into the close. Where is it? Is it, you know, is it long, that short, you know, where you stand? So, I mean, that that's the key to this rally hold into the close today. So Yeah. And um, it's, uh, it's certainly been some interesting moves for sure. And I, I wonder as well, with the PPI number coming in at 9.5% today, and some people would say it's less important because of less reliance on manufacturing versus CPI. But, um, but nonetheless, you know, we're definitely seeing inflation. Having said that, um, let, let's talk about one of your top picks, which is in the gold sector. Why, why is that? And are you looking at this as a bit of an inflation hedge? Most people would turn to Bitcoin for that. Yeah, and you're right. And a lot of people have turned to Bitcoin. And I think that's why gold's underperformed in the past year in an environment where you thought it probably should have done better with inflation starting to become higher, real interest rates extremely negative. Um, but yeah, the golds remind me a little bit. I'm not you know, going crazy on the golds, but I certainly throwing a few names back in, into the mix. It remind me a little of the oil stock six, 12 months, years ago. First of all, they're trading at multi-decade lows on valuation. These things used to trade at multiples of their NADs, so their net asset values, and you know, double-digit multiples of cash flow. Now you're getting them for four times operating cash flow and 50% of their net asset value. So on that basis, they're cheap. And like I say, I, I, I think you know, what has held back gold has been two, has been the move into crypto has certainly been a bit of a negative. And the U.S. dollar, as, as you know, Catherine, it's just been a stalwart. I mean, certainly with you know, interest rates rising in the U.S., uh, that's even drawn more currency there. And that's always a headwind for all commodities, but particular gold. So that's held back the sector. 
the stocks have gotten incredibly cheap and a few of these things may be changing a little bit. U.S. is definitely raising rates, but you know, if the rest of the world you start to get some strengthening, if you start to see, you know, the Euro in the Eurozone and others, you see these in Canada and Britain, you know, you tighten policy a little bit there. This bloom on the U.S. dollar may come off a little bit. And if that's the case, you probably see money flow back into gold as well. So, you know, I like the Agnico in particular because they just bought the Kirkland Lake. The stock's well off in the high, better, you know, cash flow multiple is traded at for a while. So some growth potential there. And like they, I like that Kirkland Lake gold acquisition they did. So, yeah, we're only probably 4% of the portfolio in gold, but I, I have added a little bit. So. Nice. Um, and John, I wonder as well, like, look, I, I'm a big believer in fundamental analysis and, and buying on fundamentals. I also, of course, like technical analysis. Um, but I also, of course, recognize the market um, dynamics. And what I mean by that is money flow. And there hasn't been the money flow into these gold stocks. Now, you can say the same for energy. And of course, energy has been on fire and you just had to be patient. Do you think this is going to be the same case for gold? I mean, it's kind of been left to the sidelines, it seems. You know, Catherine, that's, that's a great point, and it's absolutely true. And, and if I had a concern, it would be exactly that. You know, is, is this more of a permanent move? I mean, is, is Bitcoin sort of, you know, will they, that take the place of cryptos in general as a store of value, sort of currently irrelevant, you know, politically irrelevant kind of holding as opposed to gold and inflation? I don't know. Is this the first time we're seeing it go through? I think in the short term, it's taken some, you know, potential buying away from it, and certainly... But, you know, it's not like the central banks are, are big holders of crypto yet or other things. But if you start to move in that direction, yeah, that, that's a bigger, you know, you will get a, a permanent impairment of, of these valuations and they will stay low, just like you have on the energy stocks. I mean, you know, when these things started trading down to two to three times operating cash, so it's, hey, are, you know, is this a new tobacco world or something like that? that this people will, will not pay up for these things again. Yeah. Uh, what kind of return expectations can you see in, in an Agnico Eagle? In, in the market or sorry, in, in, the stock, in, general? In, the, in the stock price? Oh, uh, you know, you could easily, in a better environment, there's no, you know, this stock had traded down from $90. There's no reason you couldn't see that price again. So, you know, if you got some flows back in, it, it's becoming a more prominent name to this big cap. And there's not that, you know, outside of Barrick and Newmont, there's not that many big cap options. Uh, for international investors, so now now you're starting to get a better play there. So it's you know it's not unreasonable to see as much as fifty percent upside. I'm not counting on that, but uh, right. yeah, I think they're they're way out of favor, and it always surprises me how far things move in either direction. And and the energy stocks have been a wake up call to that. They went far lower than I, I think anyone would have expected, and now they're you know recovering pretty substantially. Yeah, um, let's take a look at another Canadian name, um, Lightspeed. I actually mm -hmm. interviewed. The founder, CEO, uh, Dax De Silva, not that long ago from my other program, The Buck Stops Here on the News Forum. Um, what, what is it that you like about this company? Well, it's interesting here, Catherine. I mean, I was worried about that high growth sector and these things trading at 20 times revenues, on, you know, basically no earnings, no operating cash flows. And, and now you turn around and a stock drops. And you know the trader in me, Catherine. I said something drops 75% from the peak and yet you haven't taken anything away from the story. They're still talking about organic growth of over 50% a year, the market positioning, everything else. And suddenly it's trading at four to five times revenue and it's closer to generating positive operating cash flow. The business model's still in place. I gotta have a look at that. I mean, it's not to say there may not be more downside here, 
um, you know, could have said the same thing with Peloton, maybe at 60, but it's a different story. It's just that they start to wake you up when these things have, have come down a long way. And I've seen a lot, I've seen, you know, their PayPal, a lot of stocks have just been absolutely decimated in this environment. And they and my, my biggest worry about them had been their valuation. And that's less of a concern now. So, because I think the longer term, the technology story is still where you want to be. You know, in, in the short term, we're going to move the value. Growth got way overextended and way overbought and then it's checked back. But if I'm looking at investing for the, you know, for the next five or 10 years, looking out like that, you know, the, the, the yeah. tech sector is still where you want to be positioned. Let's just describe briefly what, what Lightspeed is. Well, it's a point of sale terminal facility here. In fact, you know, they started off just, you know, for restaurants and payments. And now they're sort of broadening out, broadening, you know, their, their vertical integration as well as the horizontal integration. They're not really moving into a Shopify place, but it's, you know, you're, you're accelerating payments, you know, and, and obviously they're adding software. It's sort of the, the buy model as well. You've got a lot of organic growth, but you're also sort of tacking on apps and other things that are going to, you know, help your, your sort of, uh, um, acquisition-driven growth as well. So, you know, the combination, it's, you know, they're not alone in the field. There's certainly other players in there. So it's, you know, that's a risk as well as, is, is, you know, obsolescence or whatever competition on, on your application. But uh, they've got a good space right now and they're bringing on customers and like the, the, or the internal organic growth rate, like they're still running at over 50%. So. And, um, and speaking of payment systems, let's take a look at another one of your top picks, which is PayPal. Yeah. Um, they did just report their earnings a week or two ago. It was met with negative reaction yeah. by investors. Um, what what was it about the quarter that investors didn't like, and why do you like it? Well, I guess it was almost everything about the quarter. The, the expectations, almost like the Facebook Meta thing, it's just the expectations have been so high, and they came in and really talked down. You know, this this current year relative you know that was just after visa and mastercard had, had uh, produced some pretty good numbers so people are, are you know using your space and all of that and i just think you no know, you know long term you know the banking industry as we know is going through a metamorphosis and, and the the old sort of chartered uh, banks have to sort of reinvent their business models to be more electronic payments transfers uh pay as you go kind of thing payments and when you look at the, you know, the positioning of a PayPal or even, you know, a Visa and a MasterCard or other players in the system, you know, they're more aligned with that. So their you know, their growth is going to be strong. It's just valuations were excessive. PayPal was trading, you know, 40 times uh, earnings multiple. And, uh, you know, wow. now it's come down to sort of into the low 20s based on maybe a, a, a bit of a more disappointing growth rate. But I don't think anything's changed with the application, the use, the growth in the sector. And, and there's still sort of a, a go-to app for payments. And, and we know so we're going to electronic payments. That is so, you know, that is so apparent. You know, I look at any of my kids and the way pay, they pay for anything. It's, it's like they do everything else. They do it on their phone and they hold it up. So the idea that you're not moving to a system like this is, is you know, it, you're sort of uh, avoiding the obvious. And so you want financial firms that are positioned around that. So for the longer term, I'd rather in the financial area, I'd rather own companies like PayPal and Visa and MasterCard as opposed to, yeah. You know, the big banks, but not when they're trading at 40 times earnings and the banks are eight times earnings. Now you've brought those down in, and so it's a little more attractive. So, yeah. Um, it's uh, what's the takeaway lesson, John, as it relates to high valuation stocks? I mean, you know, we know you can get crushed on them, um, but when you see something like a PayPal going from 40 times to low 20s on a PE multiple, um, you know, you have to sit there. If you're owning PayPal at 40 times, what do you do with the stock? I mean, 
I'm assuming you hold it, but it's going to take a while to get back to that kind of valuation if it does. Oh, yeah. No, we've got all our little rules. I mean, I certainly go with a lot of people with that three-day rule. You never buy it on, on day one when they're down because most of these things tend, tend to have been in particularly technology overall. And, and it takes a while, you know, for people to get to these bigger positions now. And I, I, here's one rule of thumb I always use, Catherine. If I didn't own the stock, you know, and had never heard of it or I did say, well, what's that? I didn't have a position in it, you know, for what for stock you hold that is dropping. Ask yourself the question, if you didn't own it already, you didn't know it, would you buy it at today's price? And if the answer is no, then why do you continue to hold it? So, and I think you get that, you know, we get that a lot. And that's why when those numbers came out initially, the PayPal, we had some on the books. I sold it day one. And then, you know, it wow. dropped a further 30% since then, 30, 40% since then. And now we're, we're looking at coming back to it. And, and you just can sort of go through that rule. I like the positioning. I like, like I say, I like where they are. It's just in the short term, you know, they are overowned, and and people, you know, sell now and ask questions later. So you got to, with every stock, you're, you the better question you've got in there, Catherine, too, is how do you do with these high valuation stocks? How do you position yourself? Yeah, you've always got to look. What's your upside of a stock, and what's your downside? You really do have to be a, a risk adjusted rate of return. And I don't think a lot of people go through that full exercise on the stock. I think yeah, they might be twenty percent upside. It's still rising. But then you look at it because of the high valuation, you know, there's 70% on the downside. And it, like I say, you look through the, you know, the DocuSigns and yeah. the telecoms and all of these of the past year, and there's so much evidence of it. There are pot stocks in Canada. You know, you had a bunch of people like myself on for during the period when it was all the excitement. And, you know, we're all just shaking our heads at the valuation. Yes. It's only when they start to roll over, you see, yeah, yeah, there really is a lot of downside when you got in such an extended yeah. valuation. But Jenna, I just want to recap that for one second, because I think that these rules are of thumb from someone like yourself are really important. So you're saying that um, you owned PayPal. Yeah. The quarter wasn't great. You yeah. said I guess, with the news you learned during the quarter, we, if you didn't own it, would you have bought it today? And if not, you, you would sell it. And so that's, so that's, right. why you, that's why you sold it day one, because that's a hard thing. People will like a lot of the time think about it talk to analysts but you, that you that's the trader in you you're like i'm out it's a very hard thing gather it's hard and, and for a lot of people it, it's worse because it's something is down 20 percent and how can i you know i bought the thing at 200 it's trading 150 you know i'm not going to sell it here and i think like i say the question you shouldn't be asking is not the 200 is irrelevant at that point the question is at 150 you know, if you didn't own it, would you buy it? And if the answer is no, then sell it. And, and you know, reassess when it is at a price where you would go around and say, and then we, like I say, we did that with PayPal. I think it was up around, you know, 230 or something like that. We sold it at 180 and I was buying it back a couple of days ago at 115. You know, it's just, wow. it just, nice. you know, nice. you can't compound, <laughs> you don't want to compound your errors. You make a lot of errors in this business on it. Don't, don't, don't go out making them worse. <laughs> Wow. I hope people are really listening to that because that's a, you know, that, that what you just described and did is years of experience and, and know-how. So that's huge. Um, okay. I've only got about four minutes left. I love this 2020, um, yeah. 20 minutes, top five at 520. But um, the next one, let, let's um, actually you have another Canadian one, CI, financial. Yeah, you know what, and uh, I don't have a lot in that space. I don't have a lot in the financials right now, but we recently sold out of the banks. They had such a great run. I was looking for positioning elsewhere. And CI, and I've always, you know, they have sort of been the Cadillac player uh, of the industry, the lowest cost structure, uh, a lot of the growth acquisitions. They're doing more of the counselor acquisitions now in the U.S. 
uh, yeah. tremendous operating cash flow and using most of the cash flow to buy back their own stock. They, when I started the business back in 1993, Catherine, CI was my first buy. So I knew these guys well. Bill Holland's still not operating on a, on a daily basis. I was noticing Bill was out there continuing personally to buy the stock. It's one thing when companies go out and buy the stock. You know, this is a board decision and using the company, the company uh, bank to sort of buy into this. It's when investors personally put money in. That's always to me a more positive side on CI and a lot of insider buying directly. Yeah. So that, that's a positive, like the low cost of the operating cash flow multiple stocks come up with 30% off from the, I think it traded up near $30. We were buying it around 22 the other day. So that, again, just to me attractive on the valuation and, and at least on a trading basis. So. Yeah, it's had a really nice run. And I feel like the CEO has, you know, I mean, I've interviewed him going back a number of years ago when you know, he did describe the strategy that they were going to be going out and buying these um, councils, um, smaller investment firms uh, in the United States. And they've been doing that. And it's been met well by the street in terms of stock reaction. But but it's important, I think, John, to understand their approach doing that versus almost being a traditional asset manager via mutual funds, which would have yeah. been their, their original business, still is their business. Um, because that's been a tough business. Yeah, and a lot of companies, you know, you've seen a lot of industries now where companies have to reposition themselves because they're a traditional businesses are dying. You could say in GM, like going from, you know, internal combustion to electric vehicles, you got to do the transition, even if you're sort of spinning your wheels in short term. Yeah, see, I mean, and all the mutual fund companies, the mutual fund business itself really is dying. I mean, the high fee business, the structure of it, I just don't think, you know, maybe it's a slow death and all of that. It's not a growth industry. ETFs are providing a lower cost alternative. You know, most younger people nowadays are not not going to pay the fees that were paid in the past you know market returns aren't going to give you that advantage so these guys are shifting away from that business to you know the counseling business more directly so a higher margin and it makes sense of the strategy sometimes in the short term like they are you're spinning your wheels because you got a legacy business you're rolling out of a growth business you're rolling into and in the short term you may not get as much traction out of it but you need to do the transition yeah absolutely and you, you did mention the name so this is your last top pick and it's gm yeah, that's uh, to me, it's just like, I don't know, it, it, it's crazy when I shake my head at that. When Rivian and, and Lucid traded with bigger valuations, you know, with no production than GM that produces what, seven and a half million vehicles a year, I just think, so, you know, seven times earnings right now. You know, they're doing the transition into the electrical vehicles. They got the cash to do it. You know, they got a hundred years of auto production experience. They know the distribution network. And I just think between the valuation, the transition over, I thought this stock is just, crazy cheap and uh so yeah it's not like i say they will have to transition well through that business but these guys are positioned as well and the market's just not paying for it. plus it's a pent-up demand for automobiles right now because of the chip shortage these guys had a much tougher year last year the whole industry than anyone thought they would I, and, and they haven't sold as many automobiles not because there's not the demand for it because they can't get the chips to build them you know that's why used car prices are going through the roof i think as, as you start to get through those problems and they start to build more vehicles again, that's going to flow right to earnings at a higher margin. And, you know, there's going to be a ready market for it. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I like this. But John, I would think that um, the stock right now at seven times on a PE basis should start to discount and reflect the um, improvement in the world and therefore the chip shortages as well, uh, as it relates to hopefully Omicron has has been peaking we hope i mean obviously we're still not even close to where we were in terms of you know the reopening trade occurring but 
I'm, I'm surprised that that it's still trading at these levels. Me too. You and I both. I mean, I, I you know, we, we added more recently. Some people were upset with the quarter and all of that. But yeah, they're going to do this transition. There's going to be some hiccups along the way. And clearly the, the chip shortage is hurting in the short term. I mean, the, the, the sort of the border blockage last week didn't probably didn't help the auto industry. Yeah. We'll get through this. The demand is out there. Demand for autos. And like that's why used prices used car prices are going through the roof and there's nothing in the showrooms or on the on the lots right now but that just yeah. means you know they got the pent-up production ready to go and and they got electric vehicles and they got the brand name so let's face it i mean yeah tesla is owning this industry right now but you know gm's going to come through you know obviously uh you know with, with the suvs you know with the hovers all the things like that they're just going to take their brand names just like ford will and apply them to the new electrical vehicles you know you got to roll out of that internal combustion engine market and but you've got the cash flow from that side to fund your growth in the electrical vehicle side so yeah okay all right john that was great amazing thank you very very much all right always a pleasure Catherine. thank you we'll see you soon all right